what's going on in uh, viral land? Oh man, in viral land. Well, we are still looking for people to sign up for our email list. Uh, we have a lot of stickers, guys, and we will send them to you in the mail in like a nice envelope. School. Yeah, like vintage. And if whatever. you live uh, in Michigan, maybe even Lindsay's mom will deliver it to you. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm not sure what route she's on, but you never know. Wouldn't that be special? Yeah, that would be really special. Um, and because we haven't met our 100 signups, that also means there's still a free t-shirt on the table. Some people have been asking me, hey, uh, when's that whole t-shirt thing going to get figured out? And I'm like, well, we should probably wait till it gets to 100. But I don't know. I mean, maybe we have to cap it at some point. We may. We want to get it to 100, though. And if you're really impatient, you can always buy it on our website. Hey, tell me more. So if you go to our website, uh, www.viral-pod.com, you can go under merch and actually purchase a t-shirt on our website. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, So is there anything going on in the news? Any public health things we should be talking about? Um, uh, probably the uh, lack of public health funding that uh, our commander-in-chief is proposing, which isn't great. Uh, actually, I think just breaking news about 15 minutes ago, the CBO came out with their, yes. their score yes. on um, the American Health Care Act, mm-hmm. uh, ACHU, or ACHA, whatever it's more like achu because it's not really a healthcare act, but yeah, and people make it actually sickness sicker. act. Yeah, it's the sickness act. Oh, and they said something like twenty-three million people will lose health insurance coverage, and uh, it's not good. And this was what basically killed the first version of this bill. So we're going to see if it has the a similar effect on the Senate. Great. Well, in um, more, I guess, in entertainment news, I did read today, and I actually posted it on our Facebook page, Typhoid Mary is getting a TV series with Elizabeth Moss. Interesting. Yeah, I am very interested to see um, how that's going to be written and produced. Well, I still haven't seen um, uh, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. I haven't either. I read the book, but yeah. Um, live action version of that, but I would like to see it. Yes. It's interesting getting more, you know, cultural representation of classic public health stories. Maybe we'll get a Jon Snow. I was just going to say Played by Kit Harington. Oh, gosh. Ooh, I would watch that. And he's like, oh, is this just like typecasting now? Or I just play only characters named Jon Snow? And somebody looks at him and says, you know nothing, Jon Snow. (laughs) And he's like, actually... And scene. <laughs> yes. Actually, I uh, do know a lot about uh, this new field of epidemiology. Yeah. All so. right. Well, uh, well, if that's well, well. There's a, well. You're digging a well. I am digging a well. Let me try that again. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say. So you want to talk about social marketing? Yes. Okay. Let's talk about social marketing. Today's show is about social marketing. Um, All right. Well, enjoy the show. 
So what is social marketing? Um, well, the reason why we're starting to ask this for this episode in particular is because we just went to the World Social Marketing Conference. But let's dive a little bit into the definition and kind of the history of social marketing. So selling an idea, a product, or a service to a specific audience has been around for hundreds of years, right? I mean, we've had snake oil salesmen. We had, you know, people selling arsenic to women to make them look paler. Uh, and But it, even in those times, it wasn't called marketing, but now it is. Um, Did you know that in ancient Rome, uh, at the Colosseum, in between gladiatorial combat, when they were like mopping up the blood or dragging away the remains of some poor people who just got eaten by lions, um, they would have gladiators actually like promoting products, like holding banners saying, try out this guy's olive oil, it's great. <laughs> and other people would be like, hey. They were like, yeah. No, Check so marketing, out. marketing, I mean, is as old as... Probably prostitution. Apparently in the movie, um, uh, oh shoot, what was the movie with Russell Crowe? Gladiator? Gladiator. Excuse me. <laughs> in oh. the movie Gladiator, about gladiators. What's that Gladiator movie? Uh, yeah. The director was talking about putting the, that scene in there because it's more realistic, but it got voted down because they were like, no, this is too silly. So the truth was actually too silly. To put in a movie. The truth is sillier than fiction. <laughs> it is. Um, so regardless of what it's been called and what uh, products, whether it's olive oil or arsenic, um, the motivation has always been the same, right? It's profit. You know, they're selling something and trying to make you buy it because it's better than the competition uh, or it'll change your life, right? So can marketing be used for good and in particular social good? This is where the concept of social marketing was born. So in the 1951-52 edition of Public Opinion Quarterly, G.D. Weeb asked, why can't you sell brotherhood and rational thinking like you can sell soap? Very good question, Mr. Weeb. Yeah. If only we could sell those things. And also the caveat being, why won't people buy them? Um, but the term social marketing wasn't actually coined until 1971 by Philip Coulter and Gerald Zaltman. In addition, they defined and developed a framework for social marketing now used by organizations and governments across the globe and have been attempting to further progress in things like family planning, tobacco prevention, um, conservation, uh, climate change, and a lot of this has been happening for decades. Obviously, not necessarily climate change, but definitely tobacco and family planning. So in 1988, social marketing was first used in the public health community by Craig Lefebvre and June Flora. And since then, it's actually been widely used in the public health arena um, for communications campaigns and also just looking at actual public health interventions. Which, bring, which brings us to... The social marketing conference of the world. That was really good nice. job with the jingle there. Thank you. Good. Working on um, another side hustle. <laughs> um, so we now have national and international conferences for social marketers, and somehow 
somebody at the World Social Market Social Marketing Conference thought, let's invite this cute little podcast. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. It was and our first field assignment. It was our first field assignment, and we actually got to interview some really cool people. And the first person that we interviewed was Dr. Becky Freeman from the School of Public Health at the University of Sydney in Sydney, Australia. Her research focuses on tobacco program and policy best practices, as well as tobacco industry use of social media and internet advertising. Ooh, cool stuff. Yeah. She has pioneered research methods in tracking and analyzing social media content and serves as the associate editor of new media in the international journal Tobacco Control. All right. Well, here's our interview with Becky at the Social Marketing Conference. Good. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you need me to get my laptop for the um, questions, or are you good? No, I can, I can <clears throat> pull that out. Um, so we, just from the morning sessions, mm. we've been thinking of questions and oh, topics to mm, talk about. Um, but I was wondering if you could go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. That way we can know who we're talking to. Yeah, sure. I'm Becky Freeman, and I'm a researcher at the School of Public Health at the University of Sydney, and I'm really interested in what I would call the commercial determinants of health, so particularly how the tobacco industry, food industry influences our health. And unfortunately, most, most of it is in a negative way. <laughs> yes, that is true. I'm just going to move this a little closer to mm -hmm. you. And, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, Becky, yep. kind of describe, mm. you, you started describing your work sure. a little bit, yeah. but if you could kind of um, elaborate just build more. On that. Yeah, sure. just build on that. Yeah, so I've been working in tobacco control since, oh gosh, 2000, which would make me sound so old, and for about 16 years, 17 years now, and I'm really interested in how the tobacco industry um, influences both policy and people to to smoke when everyone knows that you shouldn't smoke and it's bad for you, like everybody knows that, mm -hmm. but yet still people smoke, of course, and how it is that, you know, we haven't just been able to sort of, you know, lick the tobacco epidemic overnight, that it's been a long advocacy battle. There's all, you have to come at it from so many different angles. And we've made great strides in that area. Smoking's gone down by tremendous amounts, particularly in, in developing nations. But it's now applying those same lessons and looking at broader, um, I guess, non-communicable diseases, particularly the obesity epidemic. What can we learn from tobacco and things that have worked well and apply that to other areas? Okay, cool. So kind of zooming out, um, mm -hmm. we're here at the Social Marketing, World Social Marketing Conference. Mm -hmm. So what the heck is social marketing? How do you describe it to people who have no idea what this is? So if I was in a taxi cab and someone said, oh, the taxi drivers are always asking me, oh, so what do you do? And you just kind of have to feel them out sometimes. You're like, oh, I help people quit smoking, <laughs> which is right. not true. Yeah. But if you look at sort of social marketing, what we're trying to do is, you know, one is to push back against that whole, that sea of marketing we're saturated in every day. Uh, we don't, you know, wake up every day independently, decide what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink and what we're going to do advertisers and companies have told us, have decided for us and convinced us to do that. So social marketing is trying to push back against some of that to try and to help people to make healthier choices for themselves, to also help people um, make 
better decisions. And that's not just individuals, that's also, we do social marketing campaigns for politicians to convince them to do the right thing, to enact tobacco taxes, soda taxes, things like this. It's about creating positive change, it's about using media channels, but it's also about um, setting up, you know, conferences like this so that the easy choice is, or the, the healthy choice is the easiest choice. So, are health marketing principles the same or different than marketing a can of Coke or a, a Nike shoe? I think they're different, but you'll, you'll probably interview someone today who says they're exactly the same. Well, I don't think there is. <laughs> um, we're not, when I think about, I'm, I'm really interested in social media and how companies use social media mm -hmm. to market products. And I think food's a classic example. Has anyone, I'm sure people who are listening to this have photographed a picture of their food. Like, you've seen a perfect, perfect piece of chocolate cake and you can't help yourself but take a photo of it and put it on your Instagram account. And it's just so visually appealing, it's beautiful, and companies rely on that, that you will take photos and share them. And I'm thinking about public health. What would be the equivalent? Like, how do you take an image of a product that promotes health like that? It's... You know, here's me not smoking, or yeah, <laughs> here's right. me out for a walk. Like, there isn't that same sort of, if you buy this, it will solve all your problems. And I think that's what advertising, it's hope and fear, right? right. Advertising is based on hope and fear. Whereas social marketing, I think the nuances are a lot different. And I know some people say, oh, you know, we've got to tap into everything and whatever works to get people to change their behavior, that's what we should do. But I think there's also a lot of, there's more of an ethical foundation in social marketing. It's that, you know, we're not going to shame people into doing the right thing. Right. Uh, whereas I don't think those same ethical principles apply always Although, in traditional marketing. <laughs> in, yeah, I was going to say, in Australia, I know mm. they have very graphic, like, yes. anti-smoking um, mm -hmm. visuals, which is more of a fear tactic. Yes. Um, but, you know, public health, at least, is kind of mixed on using using fear as a motivator, right. whereas mm -hmm. using positive uh, messaging, like in the previous presentations, mm. um, talking about you know the benefits of drinking water, whereas do you talk about that instead mm -hmm. of don't do that and this and that and the other thing. Right. Exactly. So what do you think about that? Yeah, it's there is debate in our field, absolutely. There isn't sort of a, here are the 10 things you should do and you've got the recipe right and it's going to work. We've had really good success with fear-based messaging in Australia, but equally, we know those messages don't appeal to everybody. Mm -hmm. And you also need to put in messages that are um, positive and hopeful. It's a mix. Um, there isn't just one. But I think when you're, if you're, say, a country that's never done any sort of social marketing campaigns before and you have high smoking rates, starting with those fear-based appeals seems to be, from the Australian experience, the best way to go. But they only will be sustained for so long. Um, people become less fearful of things that, they, that are known to them. It's the same. We have graphic health warnings on our packages of cigarettes in Australia. They take up 85% of the pack. It's pictures of diseased lungs, amputee foots, gross eyes yeah mm -hmm. but those they wear out they right, they become desensitized to they those absolutely yeah. do like it's not um you, you have to refresh these things and mix them up so yeah um yeah and then i i also saw um right when that started becoming popular around the same time i started to see 
like fancy designer sleeves that you could put your, <laughs> so you don't have to see those gross mm. pictures. It's like, well, you can get this fancy. Right. It has a panda bear Which on it. Which is another you can market. Put that in there. Yeah. That's yeah. another marketing yeah. thing. Yeah. You know like, what's so wow. interesting about that is that the, we did um, just a really small study, and people who were most motivated to cover up those warnings six months later were the most likely of try to quit attempt. No way. So if you were so moved and disturbed and those images were so salient to you, you, you had to cover them. You know they're still there. You had to cover them up. Yeah. They bothered you that much. They were actually more effective for you. So yeah, it's interesting. So one of the things that you talked about during your last mm. presentation was that we need to engage smokers rather than like we just talked about shaming and using fear-based marketing mm -hmm. right and I really thought that that was great because I hear that a lot from people who are friends who are smokers right like they already know they shouldn't be smoking they feel terrible about it which causes them stress which may increase like they're you know because a lot of people smoke because they're stressed out or they're overwhelmed so what are some ways that um or I guess what are some examples that you have mm -hmm. of engaging smokers in this process of quitting one of the most positive ways we've engaged smokers was no smoker wants their children to smoke. No smoker wants their secondhand smoke to harm their children. And we've had incredible success with campaigns run of getting smokers to take the smoke outside and giving them a powerful, easy tool that they can protect their children. Don't let your children see you smoke. If you are going to smoke, go outside. Protect them from the secondhand smoke. And because we know that children, people who, young people who are most likely to smoke come from smoking homes. Mm -hmm. They're actually not rebelling at all. They're doing exactly what they've been role modeled to do their whole lives. And that was one of the most powerful, positive ways, because smokers wanted something. Like, I haven't been able to quit myself, I'm going to quit, but while I still have a family, what can I do? And getting that message right, that wasn't a shaming message or a guilting message, it was like, okay, you still smoke, we know you want to quit, and you're going to quit, but here's what you can do in the meantime. What are the... <clears throat> so I studied behavior change theory in my uh, public health program, and one of the things that really stuck with me was the uh, trans theoretical model of behavior change. Mm -hmm. And like I've, well, that's one really good entry point for me to talk to my friends and my, um, you know, non-public health coworkers or family members that, and I, I talk about behavior change, and I go, okay, well, you know, think about this. When do you decide to make a change? There's actually been research into there's a there's a process that people go through whether they're in yeah contemplate pre contemplation contemplation and, and the different strategies based on where people are in their stages of change can um, can affect them differently. Mm -hmm. So people who are are thinking about maybe quitting smoking but not right now yep. will receive a certain type of message better than people who are like. Um, I'm ready to do it right now. Uh, all they need is some kind of an actionable reason to do it. Um, ha have you found similar success in trying to describe behavior change theories to, to people who um, aren't in public health? Or how, how do you use that kind of information? Yeah, look, I think it's really important to have a theoretical basis to your interventions rather than Fingers crossed, we hope this works. And there's a couple different models out there. The one you just described is probably the most common in tobacco control, and particularly in cessation programs. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think what's interesting, though, is how quickly people can move between stages and go back and forth, mm -hmm. and it's not a linear process that you get oh, to the end and you're yeah, done, it's and it's back and forth, and it's through here, mm -hmm. and it's back, and you know, that kind of thing. But it gives us a way to organize, and I think it also, from a social marketing point of view, helps you to develop tools. So the person who's contemplating quitting, you know, you get them to do um, a smoking calculator. How many cigarettes have I smoked over my lifetime, and how much has that cost me? to give them an extra piece of information to think about. Whereas someone who's ready, you're like, oh, have you thought about whether you want to go cold turkey or NRT? Here's the pros and cons for these things. So people being open. But then there's the people who, like, I'm not thinking about quitting. I don't want to quit. Mm -hmm. And you can sh you can give them all those tools as well. And they'll change. They'll be yeah. like, you know what? I'm going to do it tomorrow. And they do. They have spont so spontane spontaneity is possible as well. And nothing's more frustrating in public health when we go, but that's not the theoretical model right. that yeah. I'm using yeah. to yeah. fit you an into. outlier. Yeah. Sometimes when you start talking about theoretical models, people's eyes glaze they over. They kind of go, oh, God. Yeah, like, oh, no, how, do, how do I get out of this conversation? Um, and like I, I, some of the things I heard there relate to uh, motivational interviewing, too where you, you can literally ask someone, and this is more on an individual basis, but if you think about it on a population level, you know, on a scale of you know, zero to 10, how ready are you for 10, you're quitting smoking today, at zero, you're, you never want to quit mm -hmm. smoking. Where are you on that scale? And people say, oh, I'm a three. And then you ask them, well, what would it take to get you to a four? Uh, or, you know, and they will say, well, maybe if a friend of mine got lung cancer, or if I am no longer able to run a mile without stopping, or something like that. And you kind of pick up on those those cues and try to find ways to get people to mm -hmm. take that next step. It's really an interesting field. It is. And while I agree theory sometimes makes people want to run for the hills, you, a theoryless work equally makes me want to run for the hills because then it's just somebody goes well I really think this is a cool image we should use it it's like well why what are you hoping and how do you evaluate stuff like that like yeah. you evaluate because people thought it was cool that doesn't know so um, we diverted to the world of theory there for a moment <laughs> but you know we get a couple of theoretical people in the room that always happens um, without ripping the space-time continuum too much okay. how can social marketing Better market social marketing. Oh gosh! <laughs> oh, so what do they call this? Like um, postmodern, right? Yeah. You're the, talking yeah. about the thing that when you're in the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so the postmodern view on social marketing. Um, yeah, I do think we have an image problem. I think some people think social marketing, and they immediately think of the ads from their childhood that were like the public service announcements yeah, or, or the got milk yeah, yeah. exactly or, yes or <laughs> verb it's what you do yes and things like that that maybe sound great and i can remember them mm. but how much did they really work oh right. this is your brain this is your brain on drugs it's my oh, classic yeah. one yeah. i grew up in the 80s yeah. that's the one i remember and wow not effective at all yeah <laughs> the dare program <laughs> oh, oh yeah that's classic. another one yeah. they came to my school participation we had you know there's a whole host of them and I think this is where social marketing really does have a marketing problem is that we often will go ahead with social marketing even when we know it, we don't have enough money to do it properly, even when yes. we know we don't really have the space to do the messages we want because politicians are uncomfortable with us giving the message we want to give and the funding comes from a government department so we've got to scale it back a little. So we have all these things working against us to make sure our campaigns aren't as successful as they could be. Whereas, um, you know, ad agencies who are marketing for the big sugar sweetened beverage companies, 
you look at the ads they put out there, they're willing to put out ads that, you know, are super controversial, raise a bunch of issues, and um, they, they go on to market another day, whereas we're not allowed to make mistakes in social marketing. Um, we, it is better to have a social marketing campaign that fails than one that got people upset. And I don't know how we break through that. That is a really good question. Um, getting people to um, want social marketers to be brave and controversial and challenging and be allowed to experiment and make mistakes, that would be a really good change. I think with social media too, we often get uh, mixed up with social media. Yes! People can yes. find those two all the time. Yeah. It's true. No, I, I actually, I get that all the time. I, um... Initially, I was actually asked to write a chapter on social marketing in clinical settings. Oh, okay. And the person thought, or they were like, oh, well, no, I meant social media, because I had, like, had this whole entire chapter plan, and oh. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm writing a chapter on social media in clinical settings. So, yeah, so that, but that's, like, a classic example, you know, I mean, and, but, but I, I like hearing your perspective on, you know, we get remembered for the things that went terribly wrong, you know, because marketing, I think, you know, we just think about, um, like dare, like got the got milk stuff. Um, we think about, Oh wow, that really did not work. And somehow instead of linking it to, you know, the people that actually did that somehow public health people or social, <laughs> social marketers get tagged with that, which stinks. But, but I agree with you. It, we also have to be able to make mistakes because, we learn from mistakes. We learn a lot, actually, from the mistakes that we make. Mm -hmm. We learned a lot from the D.A.R.E. program. Like, hey, yes. <laughs> it didn't work. It actually was worse than what, you know, it, it created, you know, the exact opposite outcomes we wanted. But um, a, friend, a, a friend of mine uh, who did the D.A.R.E. program, passed, knew all the things that, that they wanted to teach him. And he got out of it, he said, oh, yeah, drugs are really entertaining. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, you know, we learn from something like that, and we can say, okay, we actually need to do process evaluation for programs like these, and actually... Formative work. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, okay, so yeah. formative work, mm -hmm. that kind of leads into the next question I wanted to ask. How can organizations start to institutionalize social marketing principles? Like, what's a good entry point? Is it doing formative research, audience segmentation, that kind of stuff? Um, like, how would you advise an organization who's like, this is great, how do we do it? Um, in Australia, where I'm from, most of our social marketing budget comes from government. Um, so we have a few, That's obviously, great. NGOs, but our NGOs are small potatoes compared to American NGOs. Like, they're tiny operations, and they don't have a lot of money for this kind of thing. But because it is mostly government-funded, it's, it's subject to the waxes and wanes of budgets, of what Treasury is willing to give you and what politicians of the day want to do. And it's often one of the first things that's cut. And so because it's seen as an add-on rather than built in as an essential part of day-to-day -day operations, um, it's really vulnerable. And I think if we, if you're so right, if it was actually integrated like as service delivery. If it was a, as important as service delivery, it was considered an essential part of that. It wouldn't be subject to these waxing and wanings. So we have, um, you know, world-class tobacco control ads on television in, you know, nationally, but then some states also supplement that with their own campaigns, and some states don't have the funding to do that. And it's because they're run by different politicians, different budgets, different sources of these things. 
I think a way of integrating social marketing into being something as essential as service delivery is not to default it to the newest person in the office. <laughs> The yeah. youngest person intern on the team. Oh, you're young. You you're young and hip. This. You can do our social. You can design a brochure, um, which happens with social media. Not to conflate the two yeah, as well. Yeah, no, but, yep. but you're right. Yeah, often social media accounts, which is a way for people to get out their social marketing messaging, is given to the intern in the office to manage the account. And then when they make a mistake, you know, everyone flies in on right. and it's like, oh, and there's no strategy whatsoever. No, no, None. and. Everyone knows who works in social marketing. That social marketing isn't a standalone thing. It's about everything you do. It's weaving that through. Like, could you imagine, I don't know, Philip Morris saying, oh, our marketing department is housed completely separately, has nothing to do with our product or our people or, you know, our human right. resources. It's integrated into everything everybody does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that well, would be good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right? So one thing that we like to always ask every one of our guests, it, it, well, first of all, we try to humanize our scientists and our social scientists and, and let people know that their work, while it's important, does not define them. So uh, what kinds of things are you reading or enjoying? Could be books, television, outside of uh, your field. And what, what are you currently enjoying? Oh, you know, I've never been asked that in an interview ever. <laughs> having professional work really oh, we, we love to talk about art. We love to talk about books. Fun people. Pop culture. I yeah. mean, all of that oh, stuff. We love oh, it. wow. Okay, well, I'm totally hooked on Better Call Saul at the moment. Oh. <laughs> you know, season three. So I'm waiting for, you know, episode five, I think, or episode six. Um, so that's one of my... I've loved Breaking Bad. It was yeah. amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I one of the few yeah. spin-off shows that's really yeah, been good and successful. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love Every it. time I hear the word spin-off show, I kind of cringe because <laughs> right. I know it's just yeah. going to be like... But it's Bob Odenkirk, so... Yeah, and they brought so back... Amazing. Didn't they bring back the producer... Um, I forget his name. Uh, is it Vince? Uh, Vince Matthew Gilligan. Yeah. No, that's that's Madman guy. Vince Gilligan. Yeah, that's yeah. Him. yeah, yeah, the showrunner. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. fantastic. Um, what else am I into? So I um, I do a lot of outdoor exercise stuff. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so we have like this boot camp group. We've been together for like eight years. Oh, cool. oh one wow. of these things. Yeah, it's very fun. And I have a five-year-old little boy, so I'm very into Lego and Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All As things well. that even adults like. Yes, so, you know, it's fun having a little guy in the house. Well, nearby us, uh, we're, we're from Florida, and we have a Lego land in Orlando. <gasps> and they have, a, they, have, they have a hotel that's, like, all Lego-themed, and all mm. the rooms are, like... they. Have, the furniture looks like giant Lego pieces. And it's really cool. It's, it's oh, he would lose really his mind. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> they have like, really big Lego sculptures and stuff like that. It's, it's really cool. It's pretty neat. Oh, fantastic. Add that to your I your will add that to the travel list. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And Florida's just beautiful in general to, to um, visit. No, that's one of the states I between like to. July and September. Don't, yeah. Humid? <laughs> it's oh, too humid, humid and hot. And super hot. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, uh, lastly, is there mm -hmm. anything you would like to, to plug or, or talk about? Like, where can we find more information about the work that you do? Sure. Um, well, like any good social marketer, I'm very easy to find online, yes. I would hope. <laughs> I have yeah. a good digital footprint. Um, but yeah, so the group I belong to, the Prevention Research Collaboration, we have um, a social marketing cluster where we come together and do all kinds of different um, we do a lot of theoretical research, and we do intervention research, and uh, we collaborate with different universities around Australia, so you can find us as well online through the University of Sydney. 
great. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time yeah, to talk with us. Today's public health fact. Are you interested in doing some of your own research on a topic but want to quickly rule out all the pretenders? Use keyword phrases like systematic review and randomized control trial in your internet search. It's not an end-all or be-all, but these are the gold standards for scientific research, and it's often a good place to start when you're just getting to know a topic. Thanks for listening to Viral. This show was written and produced by Quinn Lundquist and Lindsay Grove. For more information, visit www.viral-pod.com. Our theme is Take Your Medicine by the Quick and Easy Boys. Review us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, please cover your sneeze and wash your hands.